Well, let me ask you, how many of you as a child ever built blanket forts? Anybody ever do blanket? If Cody's raising his hand, yeah. Okay, you still do those, Cody? There you get. All right. I love blanket forts. Man, those are so cool. I mean, have you ever like had a mammoth blanket fort, like the whole living room? You got like chairs and you got blankets everywhere. And it's so cool, right? Because you're like in your blanket fort and, and you can watch the mean adults walk by, but you're in your blanket fort and uh, they can't touch you. I, I, I loved my blanket forts when I was a kid. Um, the other thing, when I was a kid, I think I told you this, but we had a woods behind our house, and, and, and the neighbor kids, uh, it was a great place to grow up in the sense because we, we had our war games out there, and uh, we, we built a BMX track because we were all into motocross racing at one point, so we had a, some gnarly tracks out there, use the lingo. Uh, but I also had a fort that I had built, a, a little, little makeshift fort, and there were numerous times I would go out into the woods in my little fort when it was thunderstorming, I'd get a few drips on me, but I was in my fort, and it just felt so good uh, because I, I was like, uh, you know, the thunderstorm wasn't going to touch me. Uh, it was cool to sit inside of my fort, and here's the deal. Like, we build blanket forts. I had this fort in the woods because the reality is we like to feel secure, right? We all like to feel secure. You've probably heard the term security blanket. Yeah? How, did anybody have a security blanket growing up? I had one. I still have it, actually. It's out in my garage. Uh, my blanket as a kid that uh, my parents, uh, I just, I constantly carried my blanket around me. And so one year I had to, I, I wanted a drum set when I was five. Uh, my dad was a, a jazz player, so I, I grew up on jazz. And so I loved Buddy Rich. And so I wanted a drum player. So I had to make a deal with Santa Claus that if I gave up my blanket, I would get a drum set. So, uh, but I somehow discovered that blanket years later. Uh, but I have that today because we love our, our security blanket. Let, let's face it. You feel more secure when you have money in the bank, don't you? When you've got more money in the bank than you need, that's a great feeling. All right? It's a horrible feeling when you don't have enough money in the bank. It's a scary feeling we don't have the money in the bank. I mean, we, we love to feel secure. We love at night, I bet you, most of you, occasionally I run to people that don't do this, but most of us lock our houses down at night, right? I make a sweep through my house at the end of the night before I go to bed because uh, I, I like to feel secure when I, when I go to bed and things like that. If you have a job, that's a great feeling. If you feel secure in your job, it's a horrible feeling if you feel like your job's on the line. If they could let go of you at any moment. Uh, we all like to get that weekly paycheck. We like stability. We, we like it when our health is good uh, because we just feel somewhat a little bit of security. There is nothing like having security uh, because we don't like insecurity. We, we don't like not having money in the bank. We don't like knowing if we're going to have a paycheck next week. We don't like knowing where we're going to spend the night or if we're going to have food on the table. We want to feel secure and we need to feel secure, right? That's why we have security officers. Think about that. Security officers, right? That's why you may have a gun in your house. You like to feel secure. Maybe that gives you a sense of security. That's why we have financial planners. 
that we meet with sometimes, or you may do that because you, you want to feel secure in your retirement. That's why uh, Hollywood actors and actresses have security teams. That's why our president and uh, leaders of Congress, they have security detail and things like that. We want to feel secure. We need to feel secure. And it's just the way life works. If you take out a loan from a bank, guess what they want you to have? Some security right? They want you to be able to have some collateral. So if you default on the loan, the bank wants to say, what, is, what are you going to be putting up for security? We want to feel secure. We need to feel secure. That's just who we are. Now, we're in a spiritual war. Do you all agree with that? We want to feel secure. I think we all agree with that. And we also are in a spiritual war. And Satan's goal is to confuse... Christ followers of who they are. Satan wants us, if you're a Christ follower this morning, if you don't know what a Christ follower is, a Christ follower is a person who at some point in their life said, I am rebellious against God. I cannot get to heaven on my own. I need a deliverer, somebody to deliver me. And that person looks at Jesus and says, here's a man who rose from the dead who said he was God in the flesh, and apparently his resurrection approves that. He lived without sin, and here's a man who paid my debt. I'm going to put my complete faith and trust in him. I'm going to trust Jesus to save me. A Christ follower is a person who at some point in their life has gotten on their knees, or you can drive down the road in your car. I don't care where you do it, but at some point you say, God, I am a sinner. I am rebellious. I need a Savior. I am giving my heart and life to Christ, and that when that person does that, their identity changes. And, I, and I, we talked about that. Before Christ, you are a sinner. That's what the Bible calls you. You're unrepentant, you're rebellious, you're wicked. That's what we all were. All right? When a person responds to Christ, you get a whole new label. It's called saint. And you don't create that label for you. God gives you that label. Right? Because our identity isn't something that we can create on our own. I know we got people today that want to identify them as something they're not. But we all look at those people and say, you're crazy. You're not that. All right? I can, I can say, well, I identify as a billionaire. And you all say, well, let me see your bank account. I can identify as a billionaire all I want to, but I'm not a billionaire. Right? Your identity comes from somebody or someone in authority over you. Like your parents gave you your name. Identity. God gave you your fingerprints. Identity. The government gave you a social security number. Identity. But Satan wants us to be confused. He, he, if you're a Christ follower, he wants you to think of yourself as just a sinner. But you're not. You're a saint. God is the one that gave you that new identity. And so again, Satan wants us to forget that because he knows if we'll forget that, then we'll live in defeat. And I run across believers all the time, and I've done this for years. Lived in defeat. Well, I just can't. I just blah, 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 blah. You know, when you say that, you haven't really grasped who you are. You haven't really got, grasped who you are. So Paul, he wrote, wrote to a church in Ephesus, and in the book of Ephesians, so if you have your Bibles turned there, it's in the New Testament. And again, if you have a hard time finding it, it's in the uh, Georgia Electric Power Company section. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, just trying to 
help you find it there. So one of those short letters. And Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and, and he hasn't been there for about five years, uh, but he feels compelled to write them, and he wants to remind them of who they are. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison, so life isn't exactly good for Paul. But Paul's not focused on his circumstances. He's focusing on who he is. And here's the thing. When you become a Christ follower, you move from being sinner to a saint. And I'm not the one that did that. God did that. He's the one that calls you that. And you read Paul all throughout the Old New Testament. That's what he calls believers. He always calls believers saints. He never refers to believers as sinners. He calls them saints. And so he's writing to the church at Ephesus. And one of his favorite phrases that Paul uses, not only in Ephesians, but in Colossians and all of his letters, he loves to use the phrase in Christ, in him, in Jesus Christ. And so the picture is this, when you are a sinner and you repent of your sin, God takes you and puts you inside of Christ. And so when God sees you, if you're a Christ follower, he is, say, he's looking at you through the lens of Christ. And when he sees you, he sees you. I just want to remind you of what we've talked about. He sees you as holy. He sees you as set apart. That's what saint is, set apart one. He sees you as blameless, right? When God looks at you, if you're a saint, he sees you as blameless in Christ. He sees you as adopted in Christ. Before Christ, you were not in his family. You are loved by him. He, you are in his image, but you're not in his family till you are in Christ. Now you're adopted. You're in the family. He sees you as freed from the slavery of sin. Paul says this in, in Romans. He goes through this a lot. Sin is no longer your master. And again, so many Christ followers just can't seem to grasp that. It's like, well, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Through Christ, you can say no. Again, he's freed you from sin. He's forgiven you. So many Christ followers walk around beating themselves up over past sins or past failures. You're forgiven. He forgave you of your past sins. He's forgiving you in the present, and he will forgive you in the future. You can't outrun his forgiveness. Now, does that mean you can go out and sin? No, that's what Paul said in Romans 6. That's not a license to sin. If you grasp the fact that you're forgiven, you and I should not want to, we shouldn't want to sin. Thank God for what he's done. Why would I want to trample on the blood of Jesus? I'm forgiven. I'm accepted. I don't have to, to work hard to be loved by God. I'm in Christ. He's accepted me for who I am. He created me this way. This is who I am. I'm accepted fully by him. And again, some of us grew up in a culture, I know I did, where, you know, we had standards and all these rules and regulations. And, and, and even though maybe those in the, at the time would say, you don't have to do this to be accepted, the kind of the thing that sunk in my teenage brain was, I got to make sure I do this and this and this and this to make sure God somehow loves me and accepts me. That's not the Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're accepted into his family. You are his. But like that old Ronco commercial on TV, there's the tagline, but wait, there's more. All right, so we're going to take a look at that because, because you know, we're going to look at something that's incredible here. Now, I don't know about you, but one thing I know about human nature is we tend to like things in threes, don't we? Now, I'll tell you why I believe that is, because we're created in the image of God, and God is Trinity. We'll talk about that in a minute, but think about it. Head, trunk, legs. 
We're, we're kind of in threes. If you look at our world around us, this world is, is a lot of in threes in that. And so we naturally do that. For example, you've probably heard people say, give me three reasons why. You've probably heard people say that, or maybe you've done that. Or you'll hear those guys, you know, I'll tell you three things that will change your life. Or, you know, maybe famous baseball, three strikes and you're out, right? So we love threes, right? We like it when things come in three. And so Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, he's been giving us some security blanket things here. He says, look, if you're a saint, and just kind of recapping Ephesians 1 where we've been at, if you're a saint, one of the things is you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. That, if, if we kind of think of a security blanket, that's like our first layer. And another layer, in, earlier he said, you're chosen by God to be holy and blameless and redo- adopted and redeemed and accepted and forgiven. That's your other security blanket. But there's a third layer to the security blanket right here that Paul's going to tell us about. Because we like things in three and God loves threes. And here it is. There's a third thing that we are in Christ. Look at verses 13 here. We'll put it up on the screen if you don't have uh, the Bible there. He says, In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him as Christ, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession of to the praise of his glory. So let me give you an incredible benefit. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's a phenomenal benefit. Now, you say, what or who is the Holy Spirit? Maybe you're watching by Facebook this morning and you're like, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? You know, tell me about the Holy Spirit. Well, let me explain the Holy Spirit real quickly. We're not going to get super in-depth, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Now, some people say, well, you can't find the word Trinity in the Bible. You're exactly right. The word Trinity does not appear in the Bible, but you find the Trinity in the Bible. Okay? It, again, the word Trinity just means tri, three, entity, or unity, three, unity. It's just a word that theologians have come up with many, many centuries ago because as theologians looked into the Bible, and by the way, if you study God, you're a theologian, okay? You don't have to have a doctorate degree. So if you, if you, this is as people read the Bible, they said, but we see one God, yet three persons of this same one God. So theologians said, how do we describe this? So the word Trinity was coined. So now let me, let me see, honest, this is going to blow your mind. You, as humans, we really cannot fathom God. I know y'all have heard this illustration. Sorry, I'll have to find a better one. But it's like ants on an anthill trying to figure you out. The ants on the anthill look at you and say, I can't understand that being up there. Right? Because to the ant, I'm all-powerful. I can destroy that anthill with a kick. I can cause a tornado, run my lawnmower over it, start up. I can destroy it with fire, gasoline. All right? To me, walking across the yards a few steps, to the ant, it's light years away. The ant looks at me. It can't figure out my intellect. I don't have a whole lot, but it's a lot more than an ant. All right? We're like ants on an anthill trying to figure out God. We really cannot fully grasp God. I love the old phrase, amazing grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, we've only just begun. Right? You're never going to exhaust God. We just can't. He's infinite. 
So when we come to this idea of Trinity, it's, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing, but yet we see it in the Scripture. Here, let me just kind of put it this way. God is one, yet three. He's not three individual gods. He is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all one. They're the same in, the, in essence. They're same in being. They're same in power. They are the same. But yet at the same time, they act three indifferent, differently. No, not, the Father is not inferior or superior to the Son. The Son is not inferior or superior to the Holy Spirit. One is not more valuable than the other. They all have the same equal authority. They are three separate persons, yet they are one God. And again, that's hard to explain. Maybe uh, my wife's used illustration of a chain where you have loops. So you have these three links on a chain. They're three separate links, yet they're one chain. Maybe that'll help you, okay? This is when we see in Scripture, we see God. In fact, let me just tell you this. The doctrine of the Trinity or the teaching about the Trinity is the dividing line between Christianity and cults and false religions. A cult almost always denies the Trinity in some way. Most cults will say the Holy Spirit is just an it or a force. That's not what the Bible says. Or that Jesus Christ is a created being. He's not a created being. He is fully God, self-existent, self-eternal. Other cults or false religions deny the Trinity. Islam denies the Trinity. Again, so a dividing line between Christianity, one of them, is there is one God, yet three persons, and any other deviation from that, so well, you'll find cults and other things like that. You say, well, well, Jim, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, so give me a verse. Well, I'll show you one. We won't spend a lot of time on this. But Jesus said this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Right there. There's others we can point to. But all throughout Scripture, you see the three, yet the one. Now, here's another thing. The Holy Spirit that you've been sealed with is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is not Star Wars. He's not the force. May the force be with you. That's not the Holy Spirit. How do I know he's a person? Jesus calls him a person. John, the Gospel of John, we're not going to chase through it, but John chapter 14 through 16, Jesus talks a lot about the Holy Spirit because he's getting ready to go to the cross and he's, getting, he's telling his disciples some last minute things of what's getting ready to happen and things like that. And he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And all throughout talking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus calls him He. He. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus never refers to the Holy Spirit as an it. Nobody else in the New Testament does either. And here's what the Holy Spirit does, just to give you some things. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. <clears throat> he guides believers into truth. He leads us to give glory to God. And when we pray, He intercedes on our behalf before the throne room of God. The Holy Spirit is God. When you look throughout Scripture, you'll see the Holy Spirit has all the attributes of God the Father and God the Son. I'll just give you some real quickly, and we won't put them on the screen, but the Holy Spirit is everywhere. Psalm 139.7, Ephesians 2. The Holy Spirit knows everything. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. The Holy Spirit is all-powerful. Luke 135, Romans 8, 11. The Holy Spirit is eternal. Hebrews 9. The Holy Spirit is active in working miracles. That is the Holy Spirit. And here's another thing. 
The Holy Spirit, because he's a person, has emotions. If you don't believe me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, here's what Paul says later in this same letter. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you grieve an it? You can't. <clears throat> but when we, as Christ followers, as saints, willfully choose to sin, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. That grieves him. And notice what Paul says again about the Holy Spirit at the end of the letter. Who seals you for the day of redemption. You are sealed. You know, when I was um, a kid and growing up in Alexandria, up the road here, I remember going down to the basement of my house and my mom and Aunt Mo, we called her, <clears throat> um, would can vegetables. Anybody ever can? We, they, yeah, some of y'all done that. Um, snap the peas, string them, the beans. And uh, my mom had this, I mean, that thing probably would have blown up the city block if it ever had a defect. But those pressure cookers that sit on the stove and that little thing on top go, you know, and it's pretty much run for cover. Um, but put all those, some of y'all may have some of those bombs uh, in your house. But, you know, they put that beans in there and it pressurized them. And, uh, and I think, I, I'm not a professional, some of y'all probably correct me afterwards, I should have studied this. But I think you put the cans in the cooker or something with the lids on it and it, it seals them somehow. There's some way that thing works. I don't know. Y'all tell me later. But I just know, or you put the thing in there and you seal it and the heat causes it to seal. I think that's what happens. Um, Bottom line is, they, we would have all these cans of green beans in our house. Y'all do that? Uh, so, and, and we would have those things. And those things would last like 20 years. I mean, you know, these, I'm not that brave. <laughs> but, you know, maybe six months later, you pull off a can of green beans. And when you pop the lid, you'd hear the lid go, you know, those ball jars. They pop, you know, and pour out your green beans and have some fresh green beans in the winter. That time, that was some awesome stuff. Well, that's kind of really what happens to us. When you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is the can and the lid. And God screws it down. You're in the, lid, in the can and you're sealed. You're pressure sealed. All right? In fact, Paul says you're pressure sealed until the day of redemption, which we're not there yet. So right now, we're pressure sealed in the can because we, put, we seal things in those cans to preserve them for the future, right? So we're, we're in a way, we're being preserved for the future when we're going to... In fact, go back to Ephesians 1.13. Look at the progression here. Here's what Paul says. When you, he's speaking to the saints there because that's who this letter is addressed to. He says, when you, number one, heard the word of truth, okay? So that, at that point, they were still sinners, but they heard the word of truth, and, and, and notice, the, here's what they heard. It was the word of truth, the truth that we're all rebellious, the truth that we all need a Savior, we need a Messiah, we are dead in our sins, we are not able to, to get to God, we can't do it, that's the word of truth, and he calls it the gospel of your salvation. What's the gospel? It's the good news. So the truth is we're all rebellious. The gospel is the good news. God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, and he says, when you believed... In him. That's what it takes, right? Paul said in Romans, faith comes by what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So when you guys heard the message, and you, when you believe the message, and again, we need to share the gospel. 
Share with people the gospel. The church we were at this week, they had a really cool thing. Maybe we'll do it someday. I don't know. They had a box out there. It was clear uh, glass, and they had little golf balls, their little plastic golf balls. And their challenge was if you had a gospel conversation with somebody, in other words, you shared with them the good news of the gospel, that when you came to church, just write their initials on it and drop it in the box. Their goal was to have like 2,000 gospel conversations between now and next year sometime. So it's cool to see in that box the little plastic balls in there, people who had shared the gospel with others. Uh, how cool. That when we tell people. So when you have those options, you know, because people are broken. And they're trying to figure out a way out of the mess. And we have the good news. And when they heard the good news, notice what he says. When you heard the gospel of salvation and you believed, here's what happened. God sealed you. In the Holy Spirit. So, I'm just going to remind you. God identifies you as a saint. And in Christ, because you're in Christ in the jar, so to speak, He sees you as holy, He sees you as blameless, He sees you as adopted, He sees you freed from slavery and sin, He sees you as forgiven, He sees you as accepted, and He sees you as sealed. That's who you are. In Christ. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is, notice this, the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is your down payment. So we got this triple protection. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, we're blessed by God. In the heavenlies, we're chosen by God to be all these things I just share with you. And then we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is phenomenal, folks. And I don't know about you, but we like triple protection. Don't you like triple protection? Buy razors, Gillette, Cool Wave, triple protection, clear gel deodorant with antiperspirant. We like that, right? Triple protection, Aquafresh toothpaste. Remington S1006, protect and shine, triple protection, wide plate, plate straightener. You know, we have all these triple protection things. We got it. In Christ. We don't, we love things in threes, and God says, okay, I give you three things. You're blessed in the heavenlies. You're chosen, predestined to be all these things, and you are sealed in the Holy Spirit. And that word, there's that security. I'm sealed. I'm sealed for the day of redemption. You know, <clears throat> nothing I used to do when I was a kid. Maybe some of y'all did this. You ever catch fireflies? Little things that light up. Yeah, Cody does that. Yeah, that's fun. All right, we used to do that. I used to run out in the field. At, you know, about, you got to do it when it's just turning dark because there you can still see them and not fall and kill yourself. And we, you know, see who could catch the most fireflies. And you take, put them in the jar. Seal it up. Now, if you were a kind person, you would put holes in the jar, okay? I hope you all weren't like mean to those poor little things. But then it was cool because then when it got dark, you could sit around and watch them all light up. It was kind of cool, right? Now, those fireflies, can they get out of that jar? Nope. I sealed them. They ain't leaving. The, oops, sorry for bad English. They're not leaving the jar. Not unless I let them go. Now, some of you all were kind and compassionate. I wasn't always, but most of the time, open the jar and let them fly out. 
You enjoyed them and you let them fly out. Right now, folks, we're in the jar, so to speak. We're sealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. He's the lid. He screwed us on top. We're vacuum sealed. But there's going to be a day, as we said, when God opens the jar. It's called the day of redemption. You see, you're saved in the present, but you're also being saved. And your salvation will be finalized. And your adoption as a child, Paul says in Romans, will be finalized on the day of redemption. That's the day when we enter into glory. But right now, until then... Paul says the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment. Again, if you have responded to the gospel of salvation, repented of your sins, you don't need to walk around saying, well, am I really saved? Don't do that. If you know that you ask Christ in your heart, you're sealed. All right? It's out of your hands. It's done. You're in the jar. God sealed the lid. You're done. You might say, well, I don't feel saved. Well, is there sin in your life? That'll certainly mess you up. If there is, repent. You're like, well, no, I don't know. I, I think I'm walking, you know, I feel like I'm walking with the Lord. I just don't feel saved. Well, you know what? Feelings come and go, you know? Some days you feel great. Some days you feel horrible. Does, don't base your Christianity on feelings. Base it on who you are and who God said you are, not on how you we are chosen, we are redeemed, we are sealed, we are triple protected. God has given you the down payment. And so, here's the thing. Everybody in here, if you're a Christ follower, I'm going to assume everybody in here is a Christ follower, I don't know, but if you are, everybody in here has the Holy Spirit in you. So everywhere we go, we take God with us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is just a building. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us who guides us. You've probably heard that still small voice. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't think that way. That's the Holy Spirit, I believe. And He's that down payment for you of your inheritance. Now, one thing we need to do, don't grieve Him. If you will lay hold of your identity, of who you are, you won't. But if you sin, what the Apostle John said in 1 John, but if you sin, confess your sins. When we live in sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. And as Christ followers, I don't know about you, but I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And you know, at the end, we're just going to finish this out because as Paul is talking about this and he talked about who we are in Christ and what God has done for us and what God determined before the foundation of the world he would do for us and the fact that he's sealed us with his Holy Spirit and we're sealed until the day of redemption as Paul is, is just rounding up this part I, I, he just kind of breaks out into this incredible little praise section and I just want to read this and we'll wrap up this chapter he says this is why when I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the saints I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. See, we're learning about all this stuff that He's doing for us. He says, I pray that the perception of your mind may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of His calling. What, the, what are the riches, glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his vast strength? 
He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the, in the heavens, far above every ruler and every authority and power and dominion, above every title given, not only in this age, but in the age of come. Paul says, look at all we've been given. Look at who you are. Look at what God has done. This is your identity. So, Christ follower, my question to you is this. God's appointed as everything. Are you keeping your living? What is keeping you from living as a saint? What is keeping you from living as a saint? If you say this morning, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're living in sin, why are you doing that? Sin is not your master. Why are you doing that? Well, I can't help it. Yes, you can. You bought into Satan's lie. I just can't say no. No, you can't, but Christ can through you. If you're a Christ follower, you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not. If you've repented of your sins, you're sealed. Why are you doubting it? Well, I don't feel saved. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you are. Right? And so many Christians, Christ followers, walk around. I've done this. Their heads hung down. I'm just no good. Pray for me, brother. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you to lay hold of who you are. That's what I want to pray for. Be thankful. Who you are. Again, we're in a spiritual war. And we can't fight if we're all walking around mopey. And we can't all fight if we don't know who we are. So our, what is keeping you from living as a saint? You say, well, I just can't do it. You're right, you can't, but Christ can through you. Lay a hold of who you are, let Christ live through you, and just go day by day, claiming who you are. I'm a saint, chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, adopted, freed, forgiven, accepted, and sealed. That is who I am. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this is sinking into our hearts. It's so incredible what you've done for us. We didn't deserve this. You are truly love. I pray if there are saints who are just feeling dejected right now, they'll get on their face. If there is sin that they have walked into, that they'll repent because through the power of the Holy Spirit they can walk out. And they'll repent, turn from it, they're done. Lord, I pray that we will lay a hold every day, every moment of who we are in Christ. Let us not be afraid. Let us not live in worry or defeat because that is not who we are in Christ. Father, thank you for this brand new identity that you've given to us. And may we stand strong because we have a strong God. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.